SeatGeek is the easiest way to find the best deals on tickets to pretty much any live event. Concerts, sports, theater, comedy, whatever you want. Download the SeatGeek app today and enter promo code SEATS to save $20 on your first purchase. Greetings and welcome into another episode of Sports Beat Kansas City. It is Rustin Dodd, uh, the Royals Beat writer here at the Kansas City Star. <laughs> Here with our uh, second Royals podcast of the offseason. Uh, the first one we had last week, we had Bob Dutton on. And now we have uh, former Bob Dutton uh, eh, protege. That's not the right word. Former Bob Dutton partner on the beat. Former Bob Dutton acolyte. Uh, former Bob Dutton bitch. Yeah, I suppose. Um, <laughs> this is uh, Sam Mellinger, uh, columnist at the Kansas City Star. Uh, Sam, you're still out in Oakland after the uh, Chiefs' loss to the Raiders on Thursday night. Yep. Okay, so we were just briefly talking about this off-air, and it's probably not going to be the most interesting fodder, but I'm still, I'm like still into this question. So there were many things that happened last night. Uh, we we're recording this on a Friday um, when the Chiefs lost to the Raiders uh, on that final drive. But I'm still so the there was one play where it was second and ten. Uh, I don't know what I think there was maybe a holding call or some sort of offensive holding um, that the Chiefs accepted the penalty and it made it second and twenty. Instead, it could have been third and ten. And then the next play, Derek Carr hit like a forty-yard pass over the middle, so it didn't really matter. But I'm still wondering, like. Do you think that was the right decision? Shouldn't they have just made it third and ten? I mean, they were they were in four down territory. Obviously, they were getting, they had to go for it on all four downs. But like, wouldn't the odds of holding a team on third and ten for two downs be better than second and twenty if they had three downs to get twenty yards? I mean, I know there was the clock is a factor too. Is that like did did that decision at the time when you were watching the game live? I know you were writing a column at the moment, but what did you think of that decision? It didn't stick out to me at the time, um, but now that you're talking about it, I mean, yeah, I, I could see that of, of just making it third down. I mean, I, the difference is at that point you're giving them two plays to get 10 yards, so they need five yards per play versus uh, three plays to get 20, so they need, you know, 6.7 or whatever. Um, you know, so I, I can I can see that argument that you have to hit it deep a little bit, but um, I it, <laughs> the, the way secondary – playing um you're right like i i don't know that it really mattered but um i guess the way that the chief secondary is playing maybe third down you, you can figure it's two few or one fewer play uh to get a holding or pass interference okay well that does make sense i, I was wondering like the, the win probability stats would say and if and if if like just the simple math of them making it three plays for 20 yards of you know six whatever point three i guess or six whatever that would be seven point three i can't do math um, 6.7 yeah six point seven uh i guess that does make sense but whatever um hey let's let's talk about the royals um i know you're immersed in chief season but the royals uh are now a couple of weeks removed from the end of uh of their season they finished 80 and 82 out of the playoffs for a second straight year they obviously said goodbye perhaps to Eric Hosmer and Mike Moustakis and Lorenzo Cain and Alcides Escobar and um, we're going to be talking about these guys for the next month but um, let's kind of just get into the Royals offseason and where they go from here 
Uh, you wrote a column a few weeks ago, or maybe it was about two weeks ago. Uh, the headline of the column is uh, why Eric Hosmer is the key to it all for the Royals and how they're approaching all possibilities. Um, and I'm going to read from your column. It said, uh, you know, at the beginning of the column, it was how Hosmer has been sort of key to the Royals' rise and their and their winning over the last four to five years. Uh, and now, perhaps one last time, Hosmer will determine the future of the Royals. Uh, Royals officials are making it clear that Hosmer is their top offseason priority. If they're able to re-sign him, then they could shed some payroll and make an aggressive offer to Mike Moustakis or Lorenzo Cain. If Hosmer signs elsewhere, the Royals will move to a contingency plan. Um, and then uh, Dayton Moore also said uh, a few days later, in a conversation I had with him, he said... We can go one of two ways. We can decide to just gut the team the best we can and save as much money as possible and play for draft picks, and maybe that's ultimately what we end up doing. It's too early to predict that right now. I think there's some other things that we'd like to execute if possible and see what happens with our free agents. Everybody assumes that we're just going to get blown away in free agency and that we don't have a chance. That may be right, but I think everybody felt that way about Alex Gordon at the time. That fell back to us. You just never really know. So the Royals are sort of... uh, kind of offering a, a few hints, some obvious more than others, about what their offseason is going to look like. And I'm just wondering, um, having mentioned the column that you wrote and what Dayton has said this to this point and what he said in his press conference a few days ago out at Kauffman Stadium, uh, what do you think the Royals would like to do and what do you think they would ultimately be forced into doing you know, over the next two to three months. How do you see this playing out? Yeah, well, yes. I mean, I, I think they the ideal situation for them would be for Eric Hosmer to fall back to them, um, and they're able to sign him, and, and they're able to use that uh, momentum internally and externally to sign, um, in, in my guess, Lorenzo Cain. I, I just... I'm, I'm not basing this on anything other than just knowing him a little bit. He hasn't said anything like this. I just feel like Mike Moustakas wants to go back home. Uh, I think he wants to play in Southern California. I, I think the Royals would have outbid, you know, the Angels. But I, I think that's how they would like it to go, and then they could try to some payroll. Um, they'd have to eat. They'd have to eat some salary. Uh, but I think they'd like to try and shed some payroll if they could to make all that stuff happen. I mean, you, you could you can do Soria or Hamill or Moss. I mean, there, there's some guys there that you can trade away, and maybe you have to eat, you know, 25% of the salary or whatever. Um, but I, I think that's how they'd like to do it. I think what's going to happen is um, they're not going to be able to match the price of Asma, uh, and I think that they're going to end up um, you know, kind of treading water a little bit, trying to find where I might come back. You know, on like a two-year, six mil. I don't know what the what would end up being, but you know, certainly a relatively low price for a free agent. Um, but just little filling holes where they can see what happens next year. I mean, it, you know, one thing you hear not just from the Royals, but when you talk to you know personal people from other teams too, is day and age with the double wild card. The, the bar has been lowered substantially to get into the playoffs. The, the Royals, 
you know, nobody thinks about this anymore, but three years ago, the Royals stunk in, in July, <laughs> you know, that was, that was not a good team and they got hot and, and, uh, you know, won the wild card game and played all the way to the seventh game of the world series. The twins in 2017 had no interest really in winning. <laughs> I mean, th- th- that was a rebuilding job and, you know, I don't know how many teams have traded away their closer at the deadline and then made a postseason run. You know, I mean, they, they didn't really, that, that was not their intention. They were trying to build for the future. They were going to trade, you know, Irvin Santana, maybe Brian Dozier. I mean, they, they were going to deal some guys, uh, you know, for the future, and they kind of backed in to the postseason a little bit. So I think that there's, you know, there's a template, there's a precedent for uh, the Royals to, and, and they, they wouldn't have a terrible team. I mean, you know, a lot of teams would love to have Salvador Perez. A lot of teams would love to have, you know, Danny Duffy, uh, Whit Merrifield, depending on what you think of Alex Gordon's last you know, month or so, if that's real, uh, depending on how optimistic or Cuthbert, you know, um, you know, they, they've got some guys, there's still a lot of internal optimism about Raul Mondesi. So it wouldn't be, you know, sort of the 2003 Royals that were just a complete fluke. Um, but then, so, so then, okay. So I think that's what they do. They enter next season with that kind of team. And then if you get to June or July and you're 12 games out, then you start dealing guys. And, and, and kind of embracing a rebuild. That's what I think is going to happen. Okay, so, I mean, it's it's obvious, or I guess it's clear, that, like, the Royals' best um, chance to uh, make the playoffs next year, or even the year after, would be if they re-signed Eric Hosmer and they, and they brought back some of these guys and they had the core, or not the core, but what would be left of the core sort of in place. Just a, I mean, that's, that's sort of obvious. But I, I wonder... Do you think that's in the best interest of the Royals long term? I mean, obviously, re-signing Eric Hosmer, that's, I guess, unequivocally a win. But is it like if it, is that enough to um, let the Royals like continue their window for the next three to five years, and and they're not just necessarily playing into that sort of area where they're an average team <laughs> for a sustained period? Yeah, no, I- and I don't think so. No, yeah. I mean, um, I, I think um, Eric Hosmer is going to end up signing for about six years and $140 million. And that's a long contract and a lot of money. That's like 25 or 23 a year. Um, you know, they've, they haven't paid anybody that much money. Um, they haven't paid anybody that much money for that long. Um, and, I, and I believe in Eric Hosmer. I, I think that he's actually going to age well. I think he's... Um, not even 28 yet. I think his birthday is in the next week or so, and he'll turn 28. It's relatively young for a free agent. Um, you know, he he has a skill set that you know it's it's diverse. He's athletic. He's a good defender. I mean, I, I think that he'll be a good player three, four, five, six years down the road. Um, but no, I, I think the best thing for the long term, uh, the long term future of the Royals, and <laughs> uh, roll your eyes or whatever, but it would have been last winter not trading away Davis and saying that you want to compete in 2015. Or if you trade away Wade Davis, um, you know, then embrace that rebuild. You know, I mean, that, that, that to me is like sort of the original sin of all of this, um, that they didn't decide, they didn't make a decision about whether they wanted to really honestly, truthfully, genuinely go for it in 2017 or if they wanted to start preparing for, you know, this post-Hosmer, Moose, Kane life that they're in now. And and to me, I think you got to be all in or all in on a rebuild, and and that middle ground is just not where you want to be. And and 
I, I, if if I'm hearing what you're saying, if I'm you know kind of reading between the lines or whatever, I, I, there's no way for the Royals to really honestly be all in right now. With you know, they already have a hundred about a hundred million dollars obligated next year to I think eight or nine players, right? And, and so now you're going to add. Um, so now it would be if you sign Hosmer for, if I'm right about my guess, about six years, 140 million. They'll probably backload it a little bit, but still, that's at least 120 million dollars committed to nine or ten guys. The payroll's probably not going to be able to be higher than 140 ish. One fit. I mean, you know, it's so. So you've got 20, 25 million more dollars to you know for 15 players, and I, I just don't know that that's a sustainable, you know, smart way to go. And and it's a weird thing because you're right. Like if if you could sign Hosmer with everything that that you've put into him over the last you know gosh nine years since since they drafted him you know i think you have to go for it but um yeah i mean i i think there's a very good argument it's an argument that i would make that the best thing for the royals future is to sit back and and really try to embrace a rebuild yeah i mean maybe i didn't state that you know argument like very very well but it's the royals finished 81 and 81 last year they finished 80 and 82 this year and that was you know in in 2016 Eric Hosmer had a great first half and a, and a pretty mediocre to bad second half and and in 2017 he was great and and Mike Moustakis until he got until he got hurt was had a career season uh Lorenzo Kane was very good I mean it's like I guess the 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 point is you know is it worth you know the the money and the effort to re-sign these guys when when their peaks and and where their performance may be at its highest doesn't necessarily fit with the Royals you know future and window to contend going forward I know the Royals have sort of discussed internally um the idea of of I don't know if bottoming out is the right way they would put it or tanking I, I, they would never use those words but they they would like to the next time that they're have a you know a team that can win a championship they want to be sustainable, like to have success sustained over a decade, as opposed to, you know, let's say that they had this sort of run from basically 2013 to 2017. So that's five seasons. I guess you could count four if you start in 14. But instead of a four or five year run, they want it to be, you know, 10 to 12 year run where you're making the playoffs half the time. And to get back to that point, they really are going to have to go back backwards and, you know, maybe be mediocre to very bad for the next two to three seasons and and kind of aim for 2021 as the next time that they can contend and as much as that will hurt in the short term I just wonder if that's like the long-term vision um if if signing Hosmer or attempting to sign any of these guys is necessarily the right right move right now yeah yeah I mean I've I've always kind of felt that you know there's value in losing you know, and there's not as much value in it now as there is like baseball has switched down the rules a little bit about, you know, how you can spend your money in the draft and um and things like that. But you know, one of the sort of subtle I haven't really written this, maybe I should, but one of the subtle you know, kind of bad things about two thousand seventeen was if you think about it, two thousand seventeen could not have gone worse for Yeah, the well they're they're Be- their free agents had great years and they didn't make the playoffs. Yeah. <laughs> and they still stuck. And, and not just that, but then um, they were on the, you know, on July, I mean, I don't have the, the results, the, the schedule and results right in front of me, but on, on or about July 
15th, July 10th, something like that. There was, you know, it was still they were going to buy or sell, right? And then and then they made a push, and they had a playoff spot, right? Like in on July 28th or whatever that date was, they were a game and a half or two games up, you know, and, and you know holding on to a playoff spot. Um, in that situation, you, you there's no way that you sell, right? Yeah. Um, you, you have to be a buyer, and and so they traded, and they didn't give away a ton, but still, you know. You know, Puckett might end up being a, a decent major league pitcher, and you know, I mean, those are pieces that that you might want down the road. But you know, they had to try and be a buyer, and um, you know, made these trades, and, and then just faded at the end. And I mean, it just could not have gone worse. No. If you're going to go eighty and eighty-two, you know, at least have Eric Hosmer have a terrible year. You know, at, at least have like Mike Mustakas, you know, some injury that makes him signable for you next year. Uh, you know, and maybe it's Chesler Cuthbert and and you know Whit Merrifield and, and these guys that you have under club control. Alex Gordon's having a big year. Something you know, something like that. That would be a lot more encouraging than what they have right now. No, and I mean, I, I still think if you look at kind of what the market was for position players at the trade deadline that. The Royal, I don't think the Royals have to feel too bad about what they didn't receive in terms of selling any of their players. Um, I mean, uh, certainly you would have added some assets and some guys and more talent to your system, but I, you're not, you weren't going to receive any kind of pillars of the next wave. I don't believe. I mean, it just if you look. No, at, right? Yeah, they they weren't going to make the John Smoltz trade or whatever, no. but they could have something. Yeah, they'll get the draft pick. The draft picks for those three guys—they're going to give them qualifying offers, and but that does take a little bit longer to turn that around. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. I, no, it—it'll be—it'll be interesting moving forward. Okay, last last thing on Hosmer, and then we can move forward. Uh, it's a little too early to know, um, but I—I I find one of the most fascinating things about him is just who might be interested um, in him because the market for him might be a little bit smaller than you would think um mm -hmm. i think the boston red sox are no doubt looking for middle of the order uh you know a pr middle of the order presence and power and uh something to put in the middle of their lineup they they struggled offensively this year um they obviously need a first baseman um but once you get beyond them uh it's harder to find like obvious fits for for hosmer i mean the yankees have been discussed and i think he does fit into their sort of future um they've got a young team and they've got a lot of money to spend and i think i think hosmer would be great for their clubhouse and would be the kind of guy that could take the pressure off their young players like aaron judge and gary sanchez and um he would fit in the the, the culture of new york and he would probably fit in the culture of anywhere but um you know I, I think he's a fit there but they also have greg bird a young first baseman who's yeah. hit pretty well in the playoffs and they potentially might want to save money for Bryce Harper and Manny Machado who will be free agents next year. Um, maybe they don't want to give Eric Hosmer 150 or $160 million um, this offseason. And once you get beyond that, um, you've heard the Cardinals might be you know, looking to make some moves this offseason. They need could potentially need a first baseman and an upgrade there, although they do have Matt Carpenter who they sort of switched over to that spot. Um the Angels, I guess, would be another t team if they would uh, yeah. be in the market to spend a lot of money this offseason. We'll, we'll see where they are. But, but like, there aren't the obvious um, teams. I mean, you, you go down the list of teams, and a lot of teams have their first baseman. A lot of the big money teams have a first baseman moving forward. 
Um, and I'm just wondering if, if maybe the market for Hosmer, much like it was for Gordon, will will come back a little bit um, when when we see you know the teams that are interested. Yeah, I, no, I think that's absolutely possible. Uh, but I also think that those teams that that we're talking about, that's a pretty good start, you know, for for a bidding war. If you've got Boston that definitely needs it, New York that might need it, Anaheim that I think that's a you know kind of a sneaky good fit that not a lot of people have been talking about. Um, you know, I mean that that's that's a pretty good start, and you know, all you need is two. You know, and and sometimes Scott Boris only needs one because he he's always the got mystery, the mystery team. team. Yes. <laughs> so yeah, I mean it's uh it, it's not you know it, it's not the hottest market in the world, but I think you know you, you could make an argument for a couple other guys, and you know depending if you prefer pitching or whatever. But Eric Hosmer might be the biggest free agent on the market. You know, and you know he's the right age. He's got postseason success. I mean, you know he's not going to go cheap. You know what I mean? I, like for all of the the breaks that the Royals got, and I know people are going to roll their eyes because of how Gordon has <laughs> played the last two years. But the breaks in that moment that that brought Alex Gordon back to the Royals, that was still a four year, seventy two million dollar contract. You know, I mean, they didn't get like a really big bargain. And Alex Gordon, at I think he was thirty two, I think when when he signed that deal, right? Um, you know, Alex Gordon at 32 is not nearly, you know, sort of the asset or the, you know, the player that Eric Hosmer at 28 is. So, um, you know, it's it's still going to be a big number. I think the Royals may be able to, um, you know, if they get sort of the whatever the equivalent this winter is of Jason Hayward signing, um, you know, with with the Cubs that took away the Cubs as a bidder for for Gordon and, and those kinds of things. If they get those breaks, they're still going to have to have they're still going to have to make a really big, a really big offer. And, you know, this goes along the lines of the last thing we were just talking about that in some ways the, you know, I think maybe with the Royal, the best thing for the Royals future may be almost re-signing Eric Osborne, you know, of, well, we offered six years, 120 and he ended up six years, 140. And we, we understand it, you know, he's not going to turn down $20 million. But you know, we gave it a try, like something like that. Yeah. Well, the, you know, the Cardinals, uh, I believe they offered Albert Pujols, like a, you know, yep. a, like, I was just, like, yep, like I believe they offered him the about, analogy. you yep. know, two hundred, they like two hundred plus million dollars, and they ended up getting outbid by the Angels, and then, um, you know, the Cardinals have been able to say, oh, we made the prudent, smart decision by by not re-signing him, although I, they did offer Albert Pujols like $200 million, I believe, or something close to that. And and Sam, right. I will say, too, that uh, now that you've reminded me of the mystery team, that I, I can't stop thinking about all the mystery teams we're going to hear about this this offseason with, hey, there's a mystery <laughs> there's a mystery team uh, on Mike Moustakis, and it's uh, the Kane, the Giants, and the Nationals, and, and, and there's a mystery team. So. Uh, it's Scott Boris's favorite club. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Okay, next thing I had for you um, is the, the Royals had a press conference on uh, on Wednesday, or I should say Dayton Moore had a press conference, his season-ending one that was sort of delayed because he was in Arizona for instructional league and meetings, and then I think he went to the Dominican Republic uh, to uh, to check in on some players um, last week. Um, but one interesting thing that came out of this, or at least I found it interesting, it's very, it's a very Royals move, a very on-brand thing for them to do, a very on-brand move for Dayton Moore. But uh, Dayton is taking his staff to Atlanta um, 
next week for for leadership meetings and character meetings, and they're going to spend a lot of time at the uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Center in Atlanta, which is, I think it's like near downtown Atlanta, and I'm not exactly sure, you know, if they're just going to kind of go through the museum and tour and I don't know exactly what it's going to all entail, but they are going to spend a lot of time down there and have some organizational meetings, um, which uh, I think this is mere coincidence, but I suppose it is sort of funny that Dayton Moore is going down to Atlanta for four or five days totally. <laughs> uh, <laughs> totally. and, and taking his entire staff. Um, you know, I, is he skipping out for a lunch with John Sherholtz? Is he is he going to? Right. You know, there's there's plenty of jokes to be made, but I guess this is the roundabout way of saying that uh, the Atlanta Braves still do not have a general manager, and Dayton Moore has said on the record many times uh, that he is committed to Kansas City and he is in the job that he's supposed to be in. Um, yet he is never unequivocally stated that he'll be back next season. Now, some of this is sort of obvious business 101 about uh, maintaining your negotiating leverage in your job or your next job or wherever you're going to be. Um, But uh, I guess, simple question, is Dayton Moore going to be the, the Royals general manager in 2018? The answer seems to be yes, but I suppose there is some sort of, uh, a little bit of uh, intrigue out there, as opposed uh, until the until that job is filled, or until Date Moore announces a new contract extension in Kansas City, or or some combination of the two. Yeah, I, I think he'll be back. Uh, I, I do. I've talked to him about it, and um, I, you know, I'm willing to be naive on this, right? Um, I, I think that he has his reasons for not saying what he could say and saying what he has said. Um, but you know, one thing I keep thinking about is, um, he could have had the Braves job at least twice by now after he left, you know, and, and he hasn't. And, you know, look like maybe you say, okay, well, um, he saw Moose and Hosmer and came through and and now he's ready to, um, you know, ready to bounce. But, I, I don't know that he really operates that way, you know, and I, I don't know that he'll, that this will be the last um, baseball job that he has. It, it's a weird thing because he's only 50 and, you know, if he was 65 or 70 or whatever, I think he'd just retire and run the urban youth Academy. I really do, but he's 50 and he's still got, you know, some years in him and uh, you know, he makes a really good salary, but he's got, kids to put through college and he's got to work just like everybody else and um so the the one thing so i'm not i'm not here to tell you that that dayton moore is going to be the general manager for the royals for the next 10 years or 20 years or whatever but um i I think that if he leaves i think it'll be something like it could be the Braves. it could be the Braves this winter but it'll be something he's not going to leave just for another gm job you know i think that if he leaves it might be for something like what friedman took with the Dodgers or what the Epstein took with, um, with the Cubs of just, you know, a president's job, um, you know, the, a, a huge staff underneath him and, and, uh, and, um, I don't think insignificantly a really big salary. And, and I don't know what he makes now, but some of those teams could blow. I mean, they could double a salary and, and it would be in line with what some of the other GMs are making around baseball like that that's the kind of thing that i think that he might leave for but i also believe that um you know the most important thing that a gm can have is a good relationship with the owner 
and and I think that Dayton and David Glass have a terrific relationship. And which, by the way, I think it's a terrific relationship for Royals fans because Dayton has been the first person to kind of break through and get David Glass to, you know, do some things that maybe he's not comfortable doing. And I don't know that Dayton feels like he would have that in Atlanta. Um, you know, uh, and I mean that literally. I just think he's he's unsure, but he knows that he has it. So I, I think as long as David Glass is in Kansas City, I think Dayton Moore wants to be in Kansas City. But, you know, David Glass is also 82 years old, you know, not to be morbid, but he's not going to be the owner of the Royals anymore. And if um, Dan Glass taking over as a man, I don't know how much longer would want to be in Kansas City after that. Sure. I, w- I will say, too, that it's it's easy to say, hey, it's an, an obvious time to leave Kansas City. Um, they're about to embark on this new rebuilding process, and the Braves, for all their questions with Major League Baseball and the investigation that's going on there, and they might be docked with some some taking some of their players away or draft picks or whatever is going to happen there. They do have one of the yeah. best. They do have one of the best farm systems in baseball and and more resources. And so for, for all like it makes sense, I suppose. But I think to me that almost makes means it it doesn't make as much sense because I I think Dayton is the kind of guy that cares about. Um, his reputation and those sort of optics, and I'm not sure he would want to be seen as the guy who was sort of um, cutting and running right, <laughs> right yep. as right as Eric Hosmer leaves yep. left town, and also the Urban Youth Academy you mentioned it. I mean, it just it just had a soft opening uh, this year and is going to have a harder opening next year, and will begin that will actually start to to kind of do what it's meant to do and I I think he kind of wants to see that process through and and so it, it doesn't seem to me like the logical time to leave but uh you never know with I mean it's it's never smart to predict what people will do in their jobs or or, or lives because you can't obviously be inside their own head so um Sam let's let's wrap up here um I've got one other funny thing from the the uh, Dayton Moore press conference on Wednesday. Something that kind of like stuck out to me, even though it was just sort of an offhanded remark. But somebody asked him about uh, kind of the next wave of players, and he sort of brushed aside talking about anybody that hasn't been in the major leagues before. Um, but he started talking about Raul Mondesi and Jorge Soler and Chesler Cuthbert, and he mentioned Jorge Bonifacio, and he and I'm I'm paraphrasing, but he said something very like. You know, uh, Jorge Bonifacio. You know, is he Moises Alou? Um, you know, I don't. I don't think so. But I see a lot of similarities there. And then he sort of uh, talked about the traits that Jorge Bonifacio has. And uh, so I tweeted that out. And obviously, there were a lot of immediately there were a lot of jokes about Jorge Bonifacio peeing on his hands. So, sure. <laughs> um. But no, um, I guess my question though is less about Jorge Bonifacio and more about that just group of players. I'm I'm just wondering, heading into 2018, if you had to rank uh, guys in terms of who will have the best seasons in 2018, and I guess maybe also who would who who you think will is in line to have the best careers in a Royals uniform, how would you how would you rank the four players of Bonifacio, Mondesi, Soler, and Cuthbert? Bonifacio, Soler, Mondesi, and Cuthbert. Um, I think Mondesi has the highest ceiling. You know, like if I think if all four of those guys max out, I think Mondesi would be the best player. Uh, I think Mondesi 
um, you know, people may roll their eyes, but I think Mondesi has a chance to be like, you know, sort of uh, uh, Francisco Lindor, but less on base and more strikeouts. You know, I think he's got that kind of power, speed, defense combination. Uh, I think he can be a terrific player. Now, um, he hasn't hit. Um, you know, I know he went like four, five of 11 or whatever it was after his call-up, right? But um, he hasn't hit in the big leagues. But, um, you know, for Royals fans, we used to pay a lot of attention to what happened in the leagues, um, and we don't really anymore. But uh, he did really well in Omaha. Hit over 300, had some power. Um, got on base a little bit. I don't really expect that to translate to the big leagues. That, that's going to be his big thing. It's just you know pitch recognition and um, you know and, and and maintaining contact. But um, <laughs> all right. So I, honestly, I still think there's there's some potential. But I'm going to put him fourth. Well, sorry, probably. Who, was, who was that? You cut out uh, for a sec. I, I still think there's some some potential in Soler. You know, so, some power in that bat, but. Uh, I think right now it's hard to put him anywhere other than fourth of, of those four. Um, so I guess I would say uh, Bonifacio, Mondesi, Cuthbert, and then Soler. Okay. So that's in terms of their, well, their, their 2018 uh, yeah. production? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Um, uh, wait, what did I say between Mondesi and Cuthbert? I think Cuthbert second. Mondesi third if we're talking about 2018 um, if we're talking about career I think that Mondesi could have the best or you know maybe the second best of those four he's talented man like he I mean he really is he wouldn't be the first talented guy to um, you know to do well at AAA and never be able to hit in the big league but I just I don't know how many uh, he's 22 right um, just turned 22 I think a month ago I don't know how many guys that young with bodies like that, switch hitting shortstops with that combination of power and speed. So, you know, how often do you see something like that? Yeah, and if you just look at um, and and guys that get to the major leagues that early, and I mean, obviously, um, yeah. you you want to see some production. But generally speaking, if you just if you just pull up Baseball Reference and look at every major league player who made the major leagues by age twenty one, um almost all of them at some point will have, I mean, have productive major league careers. You know, there's, maybe they don't, you know, there, there's probably an exceptions to the rules. There's many of them, but by and large, uh, yeah. if, if a guy's that talented, they, they generally will be productive at, at some point on, on some degree. And I, I will say, I think the, and I think the biggest question for me from Mondesi is, um, things that we like can't know right now and I think he's going to mature and I think he's going to grow up as well but it, it's more the intangible qualities you know for for Alcides Escobar for all uh his flaws in, in terms of his offense and um you know just the kind of the player he's been he's the kind of guy that shows up every day and and plays and and doesn't take plays off um and I think that's he wasn't always like that though Remember when when he his first couple of years in Kansas City, he did have some focus errors. Then uh, I think uh, then, it's then a good I think point that he yeah. got better with it. But yeah, that he, then I th- he didn't yeah. come like that. Then I think that's that that's maybe an optimistic uh, side of things for for Mondesi. That's an optimistic way to look at him because I think he once yeah. if once he grows into that and learns sort of how to play and to focus every day uh, at the major league level, the Royals I think think that's when 
he'll reach his ceiling and really take off. And mm-hmm. I, and I think yep. whereas, whereas like I think a guy like Bonifacio, I think he has those intangible qualities and that sort of maturity and kind of um, uh, those qualities already. And I think that's something that is going to allow him to. His ceiling's not as high, but I think you feel like the floor is not as low because yeah, um, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. Because I think he's the kind of guy that you know he showed it this year, but is has those sort of the maturity and the I'm, I'm trying to think of another word for uh, the intangible qualities that he has, but um, it's escaping me. But um, but he's he just he's got kind of a calm, collected, doesn't really get rattled at all um it seems mm-hmm. like the moment's never too big for him and i, I think those will we'll allow him to be we'll see what how, how good he is long term but i think his floor is is pretty high so yeah yeah all right well uh what else you got going on this weekend sam you're gonna enjoy the uh enjoy some family time out in the uh in the bay area that's a fact yeah yeah just gonna be outside play with the kids it'll be good yeah the, the well the so the the Chiefs do not play again until a week from Sunday. So there's a little bit of a week from Monday. Oh, it's it's that's the Broncos game at home. Yeah. Yep. Hey, but, yep. Th- this is rather nobody really cares about this. But has this been about the worst season of all time for football deadlines? Um, I believe yep. I believe the Chiefs have played eight games and four of them have been in prime time. And so and then their next game's in prime time too. So five of their first nine games will be in prime time. You are allowed a maximum of six primetime games, and the Chiefs have six. Yeah. But, okay. It's well, been terrible. Struggle is real. Well, it's very front-loaded, too. Mm-hmm. So, well. All right, well, Sam, hey, thank you for thanks for doing this, man. Uh, All right, yeah. Uh, hopefully we can connect later on this offseason when the we'll – chat about the mystery teams and uh what 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 teams might be interested in uh eric cosmer and michael stockis anytime okay uh thanks guys for listening as always and uh we'll be back next week with some off-season royals discussion uh thanks to sam uh this has been russ and dot and uh we will see you soon